we are so glad that you chose to join us here this morning. I know it's a holiday weekend. I know there's a lot going on. So we appreciate the fact that you took the time out of your busy schedule this weekend to spend some time with us and to spend some time in the Word. If you've been with us for the last few Sundays, you know that we've been working our way through this series uh, called Unsung Heroes of the Bible. And this has just been a fun series where we've looked at, done some character studies, looked at some different stories from the Old Testament that maybe were familiar to you and maybe not, and just looked at what are some things that we can learn from these stories. So before we jump into today's story, which is going to be about Ruth, and again this comes from, of course, the book of Ruth, a very small book with a very powerful story to it, but I've had a couple of questions on why are we spending so much time in the Old Testament? So I want to take just a moment to talk a little bit about the importance of the Old Testament. Now, of course, I understand that the Old Testament is the Old Covenant, and I understand that we are, we are kind of abiding by the New Covenant, and we, we try to closely follow the New Testament, and I think that that's fantastic. However, to me, the Old Testament is just so full of these amazing stories and these amazing historical things, and it really shows us how God dealt directly with people way back in this time. So I got to thinking about this, and I thought, you know, this is a lot like when we look at old pictures. Now, I don't know about you guys, but my mom has boxes and boxes and boxes of old photographs um, dating all the way back to the 1700s. And she used to sit down with us and show us these pictures and tell us stories about the people in the pictures. And that's just a great way of keeping those legacies and keeping those stories alive. I can tell you stories about family members of mine that I've never even met before. And this is actually one of my mom's pictures that she sent over for me. This is my great, great grandparents. Um, and I, it just reminds me of how I think about the Old Testament. Because see, when we look at the Old Testament, and when we read these stories, and when we study these characters from the Old Testament, and we really try to look at what can I take from these stories and what can I apply to my life, then we keep these stories alive. When we look at what God was trying to teach us through these scriptures, we keep the story going, we keep the stories alive. Because even though we may not fall under the old covenant anymore, it's still important to understand what God was trying to teach his people. And we can even learn from some of the mistakes that they made. So I think the Old Testament is important. And quite honestly, since I went back to school and I'm studying Christian ministry, one of my favorite studies that I've done so far has been some of these studies from the Old Testament and some of these great stories. I want to encourage you, if you haven't spent a lot of time in the Old Testament, and I'm just going to admit I'm guilty of this, or I was before I started back to school a year ago, if you haven't spent a lot of time in the Old Testament, I want to encourage you to go back and read some of these stories. There are some fascinating stories in the Old Testament. And like I've said before, some of these could be made into books or movies other than the Bible. Um, but there's just some really good, powerful stuff in there, especially when you take the time to see what can I draw out of each of these stories and what can I emulate from each of these characters. So that's exactly what we're going to do today. And you may be asking yourself or you may be asking me why Ruth and why I chose to study Ruth. And these are just some of the characteristics that we can draw out about the character who is Ruth. And that's the initiative that she showed, the diligence that she showed, the perseverance, the gratitude the contentment, the resilience, the humility, the teachability, and the dependability. Now, I want you to look at this list for just a second, and maybe, you, uh, maybe you're a manager or a boss and you own a business. Are these not traits that you would want to have in your employees? Would you not be proud to not only have somebody say this, but to have these be the traits of some of the employees that you work with and you mentor? 
Or let's flip that script just a little bit further. As Christians, wouldn't we be honored if somebody described us in these ways? See, these are just some of the many things that we can take from this story from the book of Ruth. But this is a great list, and of course, not a comprehensive list, but this would be a great list if people were to describe us as Christians and said, hey, as a Christian, they take initiative, they show gratitude, they show humility, they're always wanting to learn, they're dependable. Now, obviously, we would throw some additional things in there, but, but this would be a great starting point. So that's where I want to start today. So let's set the stage just a little bit. Now, Ruth is, is four books of the Bible. It's 85 pages of the Bible, so it's not long by any means, but it's going to be tough to fit this into one sermon here this morning. So we're going to move pretty quickly through this story of Ruth, and along the way, we're going to highlight some things that maybe you didn't know or some things that maybe we need to learn from this story. So please don't take this as a comprehensive story from the book of Ruth. It's not going to be that. It's going to be some of the highlights and some of the key points. So if you're interested, I want to encourage you to go back and read the book of Ruth. It won't take you very long to read the four chapters, but you'll be able to fill in some more of the details that unfortunately we just don't have the time for this morning. So let's dive in. Let's talk about the background of the story. Let's talk about where we're going with this. We're going to follow follow one family and a woman named Ruth, of course, who the book is titled after, as they're barely surviving through a very difficult time in the history of the Old Testament. And this is the days of the judges. Now, if you haven't spent a lot of time in the Bible or a lot of time in the Old Testament specifically, this was a very tough time for the people of God and for people in general, to be honest. To the point of, they were just in this, this, this time of chaos this time of immorality. And if you look at the last verse of the book of Judges, and this is in Judges 21-25, this is absolutely frightening, where it says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now, that alone gives you a little bit of a snapshot of the world that we are looking at as we study the book of Ruth. Because, see, I feel like it's important as we study these, these books and these scriptures and these passages that we don't just study them on the surface. We've got to try to understand who the author was and who it was written for and, and what was going on in the culture and in that place. Because, see, if we miss those things, we could miss the point of the story or we may not fully understand the story and what's going on. So one of the things I'm going to do today as we go through this, is I'm going to give you some of this background to help you really understand this story of Ruth. Now, the book of Ruth is for people who wonder where God is when one tragedy after another tends to test their faith. And we'll talk about that in just a second. It's also for people who wonder whether a life of integrity is really worth it in the end. And the last thing that it's for, or maybe not the last thing, but another thing it's for, is for people who can't imagine anything great ever coming out of our lives. Now, I hope that you don't find yourself in one of those categories here this morning, but I'll bet you can think back to a time or a place in your life where some of these things, or maybe even all three of these things, have applied. Maybe you felt like life just keeps knocking you down and knocking you down, and it's one thing after another, and it's one hardship after another, and you just wonder where God was during that time. That's exactly what we're talking about here today. And we're going to see that some of the circumstances that Ruth and her family found themselves in, and they certainly were knocked down time and time again. So really, this is a story of hope. 
It's a story of love. It's just a story that I hope will give you some encouragement if maybe you're in one of those difficult times that, hey, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We just have to trust in God. So let's dive in. And again, this is not going to be a comprehensive story, but we're going to, we're going to pick and choose and walk our way through this story. And I'll try to, to fill in some of the details for you, but we're going to start at the very beginning. So if you would, if you join me in your Bible or on your Bible app, otherwise I always put it on the screen for you as well. We're going to start in Ruth chapter one in verse one. So we're going to start right from the beginning. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judea, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. And I'm going I'm to fill you in on some of the details of Moab here in just a minute, so you can kind of get an understanding of where this place is that they're living. It says the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion, and they were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Let's go ahead and continue as we look at verses 3 through 5. It says, Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with two sons. They married Moabite women named Orpha. Now notice that's Orpha, not Oprah. That might be a whole different sermon. And the other was Ruth. It says, After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. You'll find as you read through Ruth chapter 1, it's a very detail-oriented chapter. It gives you a lot of this background information and a lot of really important details. So we're actually going to spend a little more time this morning in chapter 1 than we are in verses 2 and 3. But in the beginning of Ruth, we cover about 10 years of time because you notice it says after 10 years. So we're looking at about a decade of her life. And in that time period, Naomi lost not only her husband, but also lost her two sons as well. This was a difficult time, obviously, for Naomi. And we're going to see not only how she reacts, but how her family reacts as well. So let's talk about some of these things that we've already started to unpack so that, again, you can understand that background of what we're talking about. We mentioned that there was famine in the land. Now, every Israelite knew the cause and effect relationship that God had with his people at this time. There was a correlation between idol worship and the onset of this famine. Now you have to remember that in Moab, and we'll talk about that here a little bit more in a minute, but they were idol worshipers. They worshiped their own gods. They worshiped idols. Uh, they worshiped uh, Baal. They worshiped different things. Now, if you remember it, from your prior knowledge of the Old Testament, idol worship is this ongoing issue with the Israelites and with the people at this time. Matter of fact, even when Noah went up to receive the Ten Commandments, when he came back down the mountain, uh, Moses, excuse me, when he, went back, when he went up and he received the Ten Commandments and he came back down, the people had already built idols of golden calves at that time. So th we know this is an ongoing problem. And God was getting tired of it, so he caused there to be a famine in the land. It said God had promised to bless them if they obeyed. But if they turn to idols, he promised to shut the heavens so that it will not rain and, excuse me, it will not rain and the ground will yield no product. And you who will soon perish from the good land, the Lord is giving you. So he had told them, look, you can either stop worshiping idols or I'm going to stop the rain, which means the crops aren't going to grow, which means there's not going to be food on the table. 
He had made that very clear to them, yet they continued to do it anyway. So let's talk a little bit about Moab. Now, Moab is about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. And let's just say it's not listed on any of the hotspots for vacations and destinations at this time. It would not have been a good place for an Israelite to be. Yet here we find Naomi and now her two daughters-in-law. It was a pagan land whose inhabitants worshipped the false god Shemosh, sacrificed their babies to it. Now, this is one of those kind of dark things in the Old Testament, but not only were they worshiping other gods and idols, but they were sacrificing children at this time. That gives you a snapshot of what this place was really like. It says, God had levied some of his harshest words against the Moabites. Israelites were to have nothing to do with them. Now, the reason that that's important and the reason that we bring that up is you got to remember, when we're talking about Moab and all of the difficulties, you have to remember that Ruth and uh, Orpha were Moabites. It says, Elimelech is trying to avoid consequences of Israel's sin against God, but in doing so, he puts his family in spiritual jeopardy. And sure enough, his two sons marry two Moabite women named Orpha and Ruth. Ruth chapter 1 is also a story of grief. And we need to look a little bit about this grief because especially as we focus in on verses 3 through 5, the three men in Naomi's life have died. They've died. Within a a period of 10 years, she lost her husband and she lost both of her sons. She also was in a land of famine. So she was not only dealing with the sorrow of the loss of her, of her husband and her two sons, but she's also dealing with the fact that it's almost impossible to put food on the table. Her life was just in upheaval. It was in uproar. It was in chaos. So you can kind of put yourself in Naomi's shoes and what she's kind of going through at this time. She's kind of feeling like she's at the end of a rope. Like what could possibly happen next? So she departed from her homeland, cutting all of her familiar t- familial ties, She was alone and had nothing. Now, these three widows had absolutely no social status and no economic means to survive. You have to remember that back in this time and place, someone who was a widow and had nothing would have been kind of the lowest of the low on the economic ladder. They would have been kind of like what we would consider a homeless person today because they wouldn't have their husband and that family line and all of the things that would have went along with that. So they were in a very desperate situation. And this was compounded even more since she was an Israelite living in a foreign land. So let's look at Ruth chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Let's continue in our story. It says, When Naomi had heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughter-in-law prepared to return home from there. It says, with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and she, she set out on the road that would take them to the land of Judah. So Naomi's basically saying, I've had enough. It's, it's time to go back. And she urged her two daughter-in-laws to stay where they were because she felt like that was their best chance to remarry and have families of their own. Because she knew what would happen if these Moabite women left and went to the Israelites. She knew that they would have troubles. She knew that they would be looked down upon. So she urged them. She says, hey, you stay here. I've got to go. 
you still have a chance to remarry and have families and do your own thing. Orpha decided to stay. And with tears in her eyes, she said goodbye to her mother-in-law and to her sister-in-law. But Ruth felt such devotion to her mother-in-law that she refused to leave. And this is one of the most powerful pieces of scripture from the book of Ruth. And you got to remember the, the situation. Naomi is basically saying, hey, Ruth, stay here so that you can remarry and you can move on with your life, but I've got to go. And this is what Ruth responds. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. It says, your people will be my people and your God, my God. She says, where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Or in this case, she stopped urging her to stay. What dedication that Ruth had to her mother-in-law. She was willing to leave her homeland to go to Naomi's homeland. And then the powerful, the powerful, powerful statement is when she says, I, excuse me, she says, your people will be my people and your God, my God. See, Ruth is saying, look, I'm going to turn away from this pagan life that I've been living. And I'm going to turn away from this idolatrous life that I'm living. And I'm going to turn away from these false gods that I've been worshiping. And I'm going to go with you and your God will be my God. See, two sisters had two choices to make. And Ruth said, I'm going to go with you and your God will be my God. Let's keep going. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 19 through 21, we read, So the two women went out until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? She says, Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Says, why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Naomi is so devastated and so down on her luck and so at the end of her rope that she doesn't even want to be called her name, which means beautiful, but she's telling them, call me Mara, which means bitter. Naomi's hanging on the bottom rung of the ladder here. She feels like God has forsaken her. She feels like God has brought this misfortune on her. She's basically at the end of the rope saying, look, I can't take anymore. God has forgotten about me. Just don't even call me by my own name anymore. She asked them to call her by the name Bitter because that's how Naomi was feeling at this point. Her grief had clouded her thinking that she just wasn't seeing clearly what God was trying to do in her life. She was convinced that God was against her. And she just had this cloud of doom and gloom that was surrounding her to the point that it made her forget about the good things that God was doing in her life. Because see, God had stopped the famine and God had brought Ruth to a point in her life where she was willing to go with Naomi wherever she may go. Have you ever been there? 
Have you ever been to that point where you're just, you're just barely hanging on, you just can't take any more, and you let that cloud your judgment to the amazing things that God may be trying to do elsewhere in your life? See, I think this right here is a great picture of what we need to remember when things are not going our way. Because, see, it's easy to praise God when things are great. It's easy to praise God when things are going well. It's a lot more difficult when bad thing after bad thing keeps happening. And that's where Naomi's at. See, she's let this cloud her judgment and forget about the amazing things that God is trying to do in her life. If we look at Psalms chapter 30, verse 5, this is a very familiar verse to most of us. But it says, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. It says, Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. This is a very common verse for a lot of us and probably one that, that a lot of you have memorized at some point along the way. But it just reminds us that even though God may not like the things that we're doing, he still loves us. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any less. He may not like the actions. He may not like the choices that you're making. But nothing will make him love you any less. And that joy is always going to come in the morning. He's always there for us. Let's continue with our story. We're going to jump into chapter 2. We're going to fast forward in our story just a little bit. It says, now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So here we're going to meet our last main character of the book of Ruth. And the tables are starting to turn because now she's realizing, hey, there's someone here for us. There's someone in the family line that may be able to help us. We know that Boaz was a man of wealth, but we also know that he was a godly man. He was a godly man who treated his servants well, who did things the right way, who did everything that he could to follow God. And those are the kind of people that God just loves to use, and we see that throughout the Bible. God loves to use people who are following in his footsteps, who are following his way. And we're going to see that with Boaz. Let's jump ahead to verse 3, where it says, So she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvests. It says, As it turns out, she was working a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So there was this thing that they used to do called gleaning. And what that was is, it was basically people who didn't have enough to eat would literally follow the harvesters as they went through the fields, picking the grain. They would literally follow along behind, and anything that they missed or anything that they dropped, they would pick up for food. And if you, if you read the whole story, you see that a little bit later on, Boaz actually tells his harvesters, hey, drop a little along the way, because he's trying to take care of this woman. Now, gleaning is such a cool concept because it reminds me of when I was a kid. And my grandfather and I used to go out to a field and we would pick popcorn. Now, that sounds really weird to those of you who are here in Southern California. But back in the Midwest, this wasn't all that uncommon of a thing. He would reach out to the person that owned the field. Hey, do you mind if we walk the fields after you harvest? And we would go pick popcorn. So we would walk through the field with these five-gallon buckets, and we would find these ears of popcorn on the ground, and we'd put them in the bucket, and we'd take them home and clean them and shuck them in the whole nine yards. But that came to mind as I was thinking about this concept of gleaning. 
See, she was will- Ruth was willing to do whatever it took to provide for her and Naomi to the point that she was ready to walk this dirty, dusty, hot field picking up the scraps from the ground. So we find this hungry Ruth who goes out into, to, to glean with the rest of the poor people. It says she had no deliberate plan of which field that she would work, but what on the surface appears to be a coincidence Those of us who are in the know, we know that that was probably not a coincidence. This was God's hand working through this godly man of Boaz and this woman, Ruth, who had just made our God her God. Such a cool story. Luck, good or bad, has nothing to do with it. We know that that was God's providence. Let's keep going. This concept of a family redeemer, if we look at, if we look at, Ruth chapter 2, verse 20, it says, The Lord bless him. It says, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. So see, Ruth goes back to tell this story of how she met this man named Boaz who owned the field. And Naomi, immediately, things start to change for her. She goes from this time of mourning and this time of sorrow to this time of rejoicing because they found this guardian redeemer, this family redeemer, this person who could save them and get them out of this situation that they've been in for so long. Ruth chapter 3, verse 4. When we pick up there, it says, see, this is Naomi talking to Ruth and they're devising this plan of how Ruth is actually going to ask Boaz to marry her. And it says, when he lays down, note the place where he is lying. Then go out and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do from there. Now, let me just say this is not a strategy I would recommend if you're looking for a husband or a wife. Um, That tends to make people call the cops and things like that. But this was a very risky maneuver on the the part of Naomi and of Ruth. Because Ruth is going to go to where he is sleeping and basically wait for him to wake up. So Naomi's trying to be a matchmaker, but they're sure going about it in a strange, strange way that as we know, and those of you adults out there can think of, this could go a couple of different directions that are not in the intention of what Naomi and Ruth were trying to do. So that might end badly for her, but let's see what happens as we pick up in Ruth 3, verse 9. It says, who are you, he asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. It says, spread the corner of your garment over me. Since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. It says, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. The kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. It says, you have not run after the younger men. It says, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you asked. And the people of my town know that you are a woman of moral character. So this might not be the proposal that you and I were thinking it was going to be and that we didn't have the the getting down on one knee with a bouquet of flowers uh, in front of the castle at Disneyland or anything like that. So it was a little bit different proposal and it would have been very different in the fact that that the woman approached the man to propose, but she basically knew to seek him out that she could redeem her family and she was willing to do whatever it took to make that happen. 
So as you read this story a little bit further, you find out that there was another person in their family line who was actually a closer descendant than Boaz. So Boaz actually has to go to this man and ask him, hey, basically what he's going to say is, do you want to marry Ruth? Because if not, I'm going to marry her. But he has to, based on the law at this time, he has to go to him and say, hey, you basically have first dibs. If you want her, she's yours. If you don't, then I'm going to step in and marry this woman. So the next morning, Boaz skillfully presents the situation to the nearest kinsman, which again is that nearest, closest family member. It says, and the man gives Boaz his sandal. So this was like an exchange of basically him saying, look, I believe it. I agree with it. Again, sounds a little strange to us. If you hand me your flip-flop, the last thing I'm going to do is carry it with me. But but this was just a symbol of him saying, look, I agree. I'm not going to marry the Moabite woman, so you go right ahead. So... Let's jump just a little bit farther forward because we're running out of time. It says, this is a story of this foreigner, right, who was from a condemned country, Moab, was brought into a covenant relationship with God during one of the darkest times in Israel's history. It's a most unlikely young lady who gives birth to to a boy named Obed, who would later father a son named Jesse, who would beget David. And yes, this is the David, the king who would bring Israel back to God and the ancestry of the Messiah. See, Ruth was the great-grandmother of David, and she would have been the great times 29 times right? Grandmother of Jesus. But just like if you were with us a couple weeks ago uh, when we talked about Ruth, how this prostitute became part of the genealogy of David, which then, of course, leads to the genealogy of Jesus, this woman who was a Moabite, and we already talked about how Moabites were definitely not friends of the Israelites, ends up becoming part of the lineage of David and leads to the lineage of Jesus Christ. Again, one of the things we've talked about throughout this series over and over again is how God can use people you wouldn't expect him to use in this amazing, powerful way. And it reminds us that God can use you and me as well. He can and he will. But just like Boaz, we have to be open to that. So what are our takeaways from the story of the book of Ruth? We've got to find rest in the hands of God. See, Naomi was at the end of her rope multiple times during this story to the point she was willing to change her name because she thought she had lost favor with God. But in the end, God took care of Naomi. So when you and I are having that feeling where it's just one bad thing after another and one bad thing after another and one bad thing after another and we think, God, where are you? You've left me. You've forsaken me. And we start to give up on him. We have to remember that he's still there and focus on those amazing things that he does for us. The second takeaway is to cultivate our character. See, Boaz was this man of God. He was a God-fearing man who made the decisions that he made based on that fact that he wanted to follow. What a great lesson we can learn. And again, when you read, when you read the whole story, you see how Boaz treats his servants, and that's how we need to treat people in the way that would be pleasing to God. And the last point is we've got to receive the Redeemer. We've got to receive the Redeemer. So Ruth knew to seek out Boaz because he could redeem their family. Does that sound familiar? See, we've got to seek out Jesus Christ because he can save us 
and our families. But we have to be willing to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus and to follow Jesus and to point others to Jesus because he can be our redeemer just as Boaz redeemed Ruth and Naomi. Maybe you've never had that chance to make Jesus your redeemer. Maybe you've never had that chance to build that relationship with Jesus Christ and put him on in baptism for the remission of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have an opportunity to do that. Please reach out. We'll be happy to make an appointment with you. We'll come up and we'll baptize you. Or maybe, like Naomi, you've been a Christian for a long time, but things just haven't gone the way you wanted them to go, and maybe you've started to lose that hope and that faith. This is just a great reminder of the hope and the faith that we have in God. We're happy to pray for you. We're happy to help you in any way that we can. In just a moment, we're going to sing another song, and you'll have an opportunity to think through that. And please, if we can help you in any way, don't hesitate to reach out. again, we want to thank you so much for joining us here at the Mission Viejo Church of Christ this morning for our online services. Again, you can join us on Wednesday night over Zoom for our adult Bible study. You can also join us if you're in the youth group here in the courtyard. And of course, next Sunday, we'll be back online at 1015 for our children's worship, at 1030 for our main service. And then at six o'clock next Sunday night, we will have our Sunday night devotional in the parking lot. So I hope that you'll be able to join us for one or all of those services. Would you please join me in a word of closing prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us and this opportunity that we've had to just take a look at a story from the Old Testament, this story of Ruth and her courage and her dedication to her family and the fact that she was willing to do whatever it took to find a redeemer for her family. Heavenly Father, let us be like Ruth. Let us just cling to you. Let us follow you. Let us reach out for you and let us search for you at every turn and knowing that you are the one true and living redeemer. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would just be with all of us this week. Help us to have a great week with our family. Help us to have a safe week and help us to just really keep our focus on you regardless of what we may be doing. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would just continue to bless this church. We ask that you would continue to bless all of the members of it. And Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the sending of your son, for the sending of that one true redeemer. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great day. Once I was lost, wandering in darkness, no life inside, no hope inside. He called my name and healed my blindness, sent me a place. Now I'm alive with His love breaking through my heart and stone, love breathing to awake my bones. Reaching out to save my soul You're never gonna let me go And now my heart So full of worship I can't hold back I can't contain it For all he's done Jesus my Savior I am amazed And full of thanks for His love breaking through my heart